Thank you for joining Analytics Today, a podcast series that focuses on big data and analytics and the latest trends in the digital world. I'm your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is Samir Khan. Hey, Samir. Hey, Jeremy. How are you doing? Good. Just try not to melt in the heat. I was thinking that if uh, if, if the kitchen broke in my house, I could always take one of the pans and take it out to the car and put it put it on my hood or cook an egg yeah. on my hood because <laughs> it's a hundred and 106 degrees and thinking you got to yeah. kid me. This is unbearable. Um, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, but besides all the heat, it's interesting. We've been getting a ton of emails about uh, guests coming in and, you know, we have all these fantastic guests from all these different industries and stuff. And I think every single guest that we get, it gets better and better. And we find definitely the, the self-proclaimed hackers and the, and, you know, the self-proclaimed geeks of the world to join us on our podcast. And today you're going to be excited. Today we've got Christopher Wynn, who is the CEO and co-founder of Idomatic Inc. Um, so Christopher is a founder and CEO and a multiple time tech founder. He's played key roles in everything from building the first flash memory transistor at Intel to spearheading the development of Google Apps at its first as at its first engineering director, and um, I'm sorry, as his first engineering director, and then he's an outspoken proponent of the emerging field of AI engineering and a thought leader in ethical human-centric AI. And with Idomatic, he's hoping to redefine how companies think um, about industrial AI. So, welcome to Analytics Today, Christopher. It's a pleasure to have you. All right, thanks, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So let's start with a question first. We always like to talk about careers and journeys, and then I'll have Samir go into some questions. But my first question to you is, um, you know, you have this really interesting career. You started off as a software engineer at HP, then you worked at Google. Now you're heading up Idomatic. You know, you what have you learned across this journey and what can you share with our listeners? And if you don't mind, Let's start from maybe that first job. Everybody always has a really interesting first job, whether it was in a, in a restaurant or in a warehouse or having to load boxes or something. And then was there, before you got into data and, and technology, like did you code as a kid? Did you take apart the phone at home kind of thing? Or what, what was that tipping point that got you into this to be able to get there? Wow. Well, I did start taking apart toys when I was five. You know, I grew up in Vietnam. Toys were very expensive, right? It's not like you get a ton. Uh, but the most interesting parts of the toys were, were always the motors to me. And so I, I learned how to operate motors, you know, and re- repurpose them to make boats and, and things like that. But uh, my first job was actually at the Y, the YMCA. <laughs> so came to the U.S. in 1979 as a refugee child, Klamath Falls, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, went to middle school. And I saw an, an, uh, an advertisement, you know, a post something in the library and I, I applied for it and my teachers all supported that. So my first job, I was this, uh, this small 13 year old kid supervising a bunch of, you know, seven year olds that were, you know, almost twice my size, you know, playing uh, uh, dodgeball and things like that. And, and my first Halloween was, was spent, you know, my first snow in Klamath Falls, my first Christmas and everything. So very fond memories of, of that why. Very cool. And I think, did you have a job early on that started you into the field of technology or coding or AI? What was there some something that got you into technology? 
Oh, that, that's very clear in my mind. So we moved down to, to San Jose, you know, where there was a uh, 1980, a, start, a starting a budding community of, of Vietnamese Americans. Of course, it's a it's one of the big meccas now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Orange County and, and and Santa Clara County in California. But uh, so it was lucky that we did that, and because I, I landed, you know, essentially in Silicon Valley, right at the beginning of the PC revolution. So so uh, you know, uh, my first uh, PC was a TI 994A. This predates nice. the Atari 400 and 800 by a bit. And uh, nice. So I, I I didn't I didn't stop hacking since I remember going into a a mall near where, where I grew up in Eastside, San Jose, uh, and they had an Atari store, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I would sit down and <clears throat> hack around, and I would write a computer program written in basic, you know, the, the basic language. language. Mm-hmm. And it would, uh, you know, print out, you know, you would uh, indent it by, by the so many spaces, but it's using a sine wave equation. So, and then you print it into an infinite loop and it will scroll up the screen and you see a squiggly line going down and some parents will take their kids and they'd be fascinated. And so that place would sell computers. So, so the, the, the manager there said, hey, just come by anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> you, you bring in the crowd. Oh, that was my first yeah, and time. value. So was, was there a manager that, that was, there, was it a family or was there a manager or somebody in your life that encouraged you to, to really pursue this or was it yourself kind of self-energized? Um, so my, my dad was in prison in Vietnam. So, it, you know, this is all looking back, right? I, I've mm-hmm. thought about this question. I've given talks at uh, career fairs and, and, and alumni events and so on. It turns out as, as I look back, there's always been a father figure uh, mm-hmm. you know, at every stage in high school, Mr. McCall, you know, in, in college, uh, you know, Professor Pinko and in grad school, Professor Simon Wong. And even when I was a professor, there was Professor Casey Smith. There was always somebody who mentored me, right? That mm-hmm. was, uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I can uh, tell you how each of them influenced me in every way, but uh, but I think I, I learned a lot from, from them. And I think some of my, uh, even my mannerisms and, and the, the way I talk, certainly the way I think, you know, they like to say that uh, PhD Inspired is that. To learn how to learn. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so you know, a, a lot of, of the way I think and the way I learn is influenced by these uh, these people. Super. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. So you have like mentors all across the board in different areas. Uh, and so tell us. So with, with that in mind, like what at what point of time you decided like, hey, I want to start automatic. And so you know, what is automatic? What do you guys do there? What's kind of different? There's so many different types of AI companies. Like, what's so different about automatic? Yeah, automatic in that journey is a much later, right? I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, so this is the last four, five, six years. We were part of Panasonic. Panasonic bought my previous company, and and I ended up running global AI uh, uh, there. You know, Japan, U.S., China, um, and and the rest of the world as well. Um, the, the 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 way to understand automatic is that it was born out of a failure. Uh, you know, the, the first six months uh, when we were part of Panasonic, uh, we were supposed to bring in, inject that AI knowledge and ex- expertise, right? Not just myself, but the rest of the team as well, as well as our technology. Um, one of the first problems that we were asked to take on, and we're, we're treated kind of like this, this Oracle, right? This, this new fangled thing. And so the various divisions submitted projects. And I think at the last one, when I looked, it was up to 200 requests or something. 
And of course, we will go through that whole Excel spreadsheet and start ranking by priorities. And the thing that came up uh, first was predictive maintenance. And, and the particular use case is the cold supply chain. Uh, this is how a fish gets from the ocean to your dining table. Uh, you know, it, it has to be refrigerated somehow, otherwise you'd be eating rotten fish, right? And, and failure is very expensive. It's not just the, the, the compressor or the filter, but, but uh, you know, lost customers and maybe, you know, human safety dangers and so on. Mm. Uh, uh, we couldn't solve it with just machine learning alone, right? And, and that's, that's a shocking thing to say for a guy, you know, from Silicon Valley, right? Uh, most of us Silicon Valley, we, you know, we think, you know, there's a Google and, 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 and in fact, that's, a, that's another side. There's big news coming out of Google today about uh, AI being sentient, right? <laughs> um, but, but the failure that we had is that we could not use the usual machine learning techniques for one reason. There's not enough data in the physical world for machine learning, in the manufacturing world, in avionics, in automotive, and so on. And so eventually we had to solve it by adding, combining uh, data machine learning, or you can call it data-driven machine learning, with human knowledge-driven machine learning. Right? And, so, and so that's, uh, you know, you mentioned that there are lots of AI companies and so on, but I, I would say we're one of the very few that explicitly say we've got to start with human knowledge and, and domain expertise, and then add data to it. So you're saying that Skynet and the Terminator is possible. <laughs> you want to get there? You want to yeah. go there? <laughs> I don't, I'm not looking forward to Skynet, but uh, I've seen the movie, so I'm ready yeah. just in case. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're solving simpler problems today, which is it turns out there, there are not enough experts. Uh, you know, uh, people are worried about AI taking over jobs and so on, but the, the most successful first applications are in those areas where you have, for example, the 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 supermarket use case in Japan, uh, there are three expert engineers who can diagnose, you know, uh, essentially failures in, in these systems uh, for, for the entire country, right? You know, hundreds of thousands of equipments and so on, signals coming in every day. So the AI systems that we're, you know, we've helped to build uh, are essentially scaling that expertise where, where there are not enough humans. Very cool. So it's interesting that, you know, one of the other things that I was going to talk to you about kind of teeds into that very topic, right? You talk a lot about human and AI working together instead of AI kind of replacing human. Um, and I've always been fascinated about that topic. Uh, so how do you, I've read a book called Life 3.0, and it kind of goes into the details of what that evolution looks like and, you know, da, da, da. So how do you think that AI will help scale human productivity, knowing that there are two sides of the coin like one side is people is fearful of ai taking over human the other side is uh they believe that ai might be useful but not sure how advanced it can get like what what are your thoughts on that yeah well you know in the near term we're already using ai just like just like another technology right to augment our capabilities i mentioned just earlier how an expert engineer can look at traces of sensors and based on his or her 30 years of work experience say, you know, now that you've highlighted this for me, I can see this, if this temperature is dropping while this pressure is rising too fast, it's very likely to be the compressor that's gonna fail, even though it, the failure hasn't happened yet. So, so humans were very good at, at, you know, accumulating knowledge and, you know, translating them into, in machine learning it's called generalizing, right? You, 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 you see one or two examples, 
you know, you don't you don't hit your head a, a million times before you discover that that's a bad idea. Uh, um, so so learning based on data as well as knowledge is is a very very essential human capability. Uh, and, and so today we're already at, at places like Itomatic, we are leveraging that that human knowledge uh, to uh, and, and then augmenting the human so that I mentioned the use case where there are three experts and now effectively there are you know 3,000 experts right because it's been it's been automated where there isn't long term part of the supply chain is automatic kind of automating or you know adding like so you talked about the supply chain is that the part where you guys are specializing in automating part of the supply chain or helping people get better data what exactly it is yeah so uh, we we have we work with various customers right uh and so they have multiple use cases um we we help prevent fish from getting rotten before they get to you and that's the coal supply chain okay case uh it turns out with a different company uh called Furuno, we also help with uh, an industry called fixed net fishing uh, so it's, it's a very environmentally friendly where instead of dredging uh, your net across the ocean and, and catching more than just what you're trying to catch these are nets that are built you know kilometers long and they just sit there and and fish would uh, you know swarm school, entire schools would go from section a to section b to section c but it's built in such a way that once you're in C, you can't go back to B and so on. And oh, so we wow. have recognition technology to help, you know, identify that that's a, you know, a school of macro. And so the fishermen, it's time to go collect your fish. So we encourage the growth of that fixed net industry, right? Uh, we're also involved in, uh, for example, if you drive an electric car, Tesla, right? The Gigafactory in, in um, Sparks, Nevada, that's all, oh, yeah. essentially that's Panasonic ba- batteries that are being made. And so we help with the manufacturing science of that to to get better yields. Uh, so it's a it's a wide range, including automotive safety, right? Um, cars that you're going to you're driving now, and increasingly they're going to be computers on wheels, and so they're subject to cyber attacks. Uh, they were they were not built to expect that, uh, but that's happening. That's happening now, and that's happening certainly increasingly so over the next five years. So some of the technology that, that we have here are being used to essentially go and do what's called intrusion detection systems. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a that's the being legislated legislated into uh, into existence by the U.S. Senate, right? That the Spy Car Act will require IDSs in all cars. I think starting twenty twenty three. Thanks. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, that's where the chip problem comes in, and that's where you know all these. There's so many different computer chips, computer components running everything, everything yeah. from your seat to your the way the lights work. But uh, yeah, very interesting stuff. So when you talk about data, you know, data is this bigger problem for companies when it's com- uh, compared to automation, right? And so mostly it's not about the big data, but linking those few data sources together. So how do you think companies can use automation to solve their smaller data problems? Yeah, yeah. Um... You know, there, there's been a phrase that's been very unhelpful uh, coming from, from, from my industry, and that is the data is the new oil, right? Um, <laughs> except that it's not like oil. Uh, people would say, well, oil needs to be refined, but oil is fairly fungible. Uh, data is quite diverse. Uh, you know, one kilobyte of data is not like another kilobyte of data. 
so when you know the it turns out in the physical industry manufacturing you know what i call industrials companies um the the data is not very suitable for the most cases you know and and the rest of the the, the world is starting to learn this lesson it's not like a google where you know, input is data, right? Output, input is digital, output is digital, processing is digital. So it sort of stays in that cyber world. It's fairly easy to handle, it's easy to test and, and, and you know, very fast to, to deploy. Uh, when you deal with physical atoms, right? As sensors and actuators, and you actually, you know, touch the world. And, and that's where AI is starting to move. You know, this, these industrial giants, this $25 trillion industry is starting to adopt these things. And, and we're realizing that we're running into a lot of these walls, and one of which is what you mentioned, that, that what's called the small data wall, which is surprising because isn't there so much data? Uh, uh, there is, but they're not useful, right? The, uh, there's something that's needed called labels, right? If you wanna predict failure, then you need past failures, but you don't have a lot of past failures by definition, right? You're, you're building these things not to fail. And so the only be, thing you have to rely on is anomaly detection then, right? Just to be able to look for outliers. That, that, where do you, that's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. That's the limits today, right? Mm-hmm. Anomaly detection, but anomaly detection is not predictive maintenance. But anomaly no. detection is, is something looks weird today. The rest is your problem, right? I'm, yeah. <laughs> so in fact, that's, that's that's our failure. I'm excited now because you you, you know you're speaking my language. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that's the most we could do in 2017 when we were first acquired. What yes. we've augmented is that once once we highlighted anomaly detection, then we encode human expertise to say, given the anomaly, can you predict the fault? Uh, and and that is that is today strictly the domain of human beings, right? Yes. When I say human knowledge, but we, we we've automated. Uh, like you're right. And with, without without uh, without that human knowledge, we cannot solve the predictive maintenance problem. Very interesting. Yeah, Samir, you got the next one. Oh, you're on mute. Huh? It's an interesting fact that you were talking about here is a kind of going into the whole anomaly detection and what is the next evolution that happens, right? Uh, once the AI has done its part is it has detected a specific anomaly. I used to work for a company called Alert Logic. So we used to run like uh, all these different scenarios, a vulnerability scan and uh, identifying if your AWS instance has been attacked and if there is a vulnerability that needs to be detected. So it's interesting that you're talking about the next evolution because now we provided you the information. And that's where in my past company, we used to have the human element. Like we used to have these cybersecurity analysts that used to interpret that data, uh, which AI has provided and kind of makes sense for the end customer. So to help them mitigate the risk that is coming from these cyber attacks. So with that said is how, uh, you know, what is that inflection point when AI and human kind of work together in a very, very efficient way? Like, where do you see that inflection point is? The, the way to, un, to, to understand and predict that is to realize that 10 years from now, we will realize that machine learning as it is today is very primitive, hmm. very primitive. Data-driven or data-based machine learning is a fundamental, but the first step only, right? Um, as humans, we learn from knowledge, right? Like we're learning from each other right now. Right, it's not like you need to go through my entire life of experiences to get some of the insights of mine and vice versa. Uh, machines learning will have the same evolution. Um, so today they are learning from raw data, right? 
and it takes a lot of heavy lifting on the part of companies like Itomatic to make sure that to, to take them to the next level so that they can learn from knowledge. But increasingly, so how does something learn based on knowledge? Well, it must have encoded knowledge itself, right? So when I say, if the thing looks like a circle, well, it must have a concept of a circle already. Otherwise I have to give it a million examples of circular looking things. Mm-hmm. So, so the next the, evolution. The, I was gonna say the evolution is the human interaction, right? Yes. So without that human engagement and ongoing human engagement and human interaction, it can continue to learn. Right. In the embodiment, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the sense of touch, that's part of learning as well. Yeah. So, so the next stage of learning is learning from knowledge. And that requires that machine learning has what's, you know, increasingly there's, there's a term called foundational models. These are sort of the starting models. It, it knows about circles and squares and so on. And so now the next stage is you can learn from knowledge. I can refer to circles and squares and yellow and red and say, I don't, I don't need to give you raw data anymore. I can start teaching you based on, on, on certainly natural language, right? <clears throat> and, and, and based on, on knowledge. So knowledge-based learning is, is that next uh, evolution. Very cool. So I, I guess we, let's talk about idomatic then. So when you talk about the evolution and I guess, you know, where do you see idomatic going? Where, where is it heading to or do you have plans for expansion? Is there some growth avenue that you're going towards or what can we expect to see in the next five to 10 years from you guys? Yeah. So, so I think you can get from the, from, from the discussion that there's a long-term vision here of, yes. of building, right? helping with this, this AI human augmentation, you know, knowledge and expertise and so on near term. We, you know, to, to get there from here, we got to make money. We got to, we gotta, we gotta concept, provide the right? industry yeah. some value, concept, right? Yeah. We need to, we, uh, so, so our near-term um, focus is the the what's called industrial AI, mm-hmm. and and the fascinating thing that I learned, you know, being part of Panasonic, is that the the Silicon Valley pure database uh, machine learning approach cannot solve very large-scale problems. No. Uh, some of the things that I mentioned, uh, purely because it is a physical industry. So there's this huge opportunity that we're going after. So what we're building is we're building the tool so that an expert can speak, you know, or type natural language uh, to to a, to a, to that tool, and then that will automatically get encoded into what's called an intermediate language, a DSL, a domain-specific language, yeah. and translate into a knowledge-based model. That knowledge-based model will then train a machine learning model, and then they will be ensembled together, right, combined. And, and that becomes the operating system, right? And, and the system then, as it collects more data, it'll wind back and add to sort of improve that model. And so this become systems that can, you know, sort of fuel uh, or power the, the predictive maintenance systems that we talk about, avionics, automotive, and so on. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think we're gonna, we're gonna, we already have customers, by the way, right? Because we're, we're, we're a company that was launched with uh, a lot of revenues already. And, and these are customers that are building these things that I talk about. It's our, our team is just providing the, the capability for doing that. Nice. So I got one last question. We're going to wrap up today. But this last question really is, you know, I, I want to gear this question towards our listeners. They want to get to where you are. They're inspired by you, Christopher, and on your journey in your life, let's say they're in that stage and they got to try to figure out what do I do with my career? I'm in college or they want to make, I want you to give them some advice. I want you to speak to those younger listeners who are junior level and, and trying to start their careers. What is the best advice that you can give them today? Mm. 
I got two kids that just graduated, you know, from college over the weekend. So oh, congrats. <laughs> oh, nice. congratulations. Um, uh, so, so maybe I'll, I'll tell something specific and then maybe more philosophical. I think the specific thing is um, there, there are two worlds, right? There's a backward looking world and, and there's a future world. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's what I call the, 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 the digital first world, right? Uh, and then there's the, 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 old uh, you know sort of classical world the one career advice i give to my kids because you know the three girls and one is a geek two are marketing development people i said it's not the job that you're that you take right um uh, number one make sure you're in this this future digital world right yes and number two and I'm, and you know, I've worked in a lot of places now, and in different roles, executive, you know, professor, startup guy. Uh, the workplace is really: are you a problem solver, or are you a problem maker? <laughs> so it's like not it. the title. It's Good not, one. It, yeah, it's not. Of course, it's some of what you know, right? <laughs> Uh, but if you focus on the one thing is as a CEO, I, I, I hire problem solvers, right? Yeah. And so if you feel, you know, you're, sort of to build your career, just focus on trying to solve problems and then good things will happen, right? Uh, and, and, and I say, like I say to my kids, you know, don't be one of those entitled <laughs> Gen Z. I was going to say, if you're a problem maker, then you could probably become a president. <laughs> <laughs> Or a politician. I haven't thought about that, but. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. This is great. I I love the advice. Um, I'm actually going to use this. So I will reference you for now on, but I'm going to use that. So just, just so you know, just if somebody hears that this guy, Jeremy Roberts said it, I want to reference you. Um, This has been fantastic. Great interview. Um, Once you guys start to get on and do more things, we'd love to have you back. And, uh, you know, give us an update on where things are. Um, But again, thank you for joining and thank you for, you know, continuing to everybody continue to send us more um, opportunities to interview more people. This is how we landed Christopher. So um, thank you again. And uh, thank you, Christopher, Samir. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you, gentlemen. Yep. Thanks.